Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Aaron Cameron, and with me, as always, Adam Pawatic. And we'd like to thank our sponsors, First National, of course. Today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Brian Kimmel, the Assistant Vice President at First National. And this is a topic that we're pretty excited about. We're, Brian is our resident expert, or probably the expert in the country on retirement homes. Thanks for coming, Brian. Thank you, uh, Aaron. And just to clarify, we use the term seniors housing. Oh, sorry. So, uh, My bad. Because it's a little bit more than just retirement homes now. <laughs> We've already got one thing wrong. There yeah, you go. Yeah, there you go. We're generalists. Everyone, yeah, yeah. regular listeners right. know that we, we, don't, we actually know nothing. Right. <laughs> well, Brian, so let's just start with your background. Like, How did you end up being where you are today in seniors housing? Okay. So just to start at present day, I've been at First National now for 24 years. So it's hard to believe since 1994. So let me move back and tell you how I got here. I started my career in commercial banking and corporate banking. CIBC hired me out of business school, and they did a great job of training me here in Toronto at their national training center, and they put me through various parts of the corporate and commercial banking world. And then at the end of a year, they asked me where I wanted to be in the bank. And I told them, I'm really interested in real estate. I'd love to be in real estate. So being the bank, they decided to put me into the natural resources group. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, so that was a bit of a surprise to me, a bit of a shock to me. Didn't really know much about mining and oil and gas. The guys who really knew that stuff were actually engineers. They were in the real estate group. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it, it, it wasn't a great place for me at that point. I had uh, very early on decided that I really would like to get into the real estate. Why business. real estate? How did you even identify that in your those sort of early stages um, of your life? Good question. You know, I think through business school and also through my early days at CIBC, I had a little bit of exposure to real estate. I found it very interesting, very exciting business. I knew some of the big players at the time. The big players in the news were the Reichman family and the Bronfman family, and they were doing some very exciting things. And I, I felt that this is something that would be a really fun and exciting career for me. So how long did you last at uh, Natural Resources? What's the time frame? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say I was there for about a year. And then in the late 80s, I was very fortunate to get a job at a big real estate development company called Bramley Limited. So any of those people who go back a while remember Bramalee was one of the biggest real estate developers in the country. Very exciting company. It was a great position for me. I got a great indoctrination into the real estate business. Unfortunately, not long into that stint at Bramalee, we had a major real estate crash of the mm -hmm. early 1990s. And Bramalee was hit particularly hard. It owned a lot of land, condo development sites, and really had extended itself with its financing, which was part of my job, ironically enough. The company, as with all real estate companies across Canada, got into a lot of trouble. But here's the interesting part. The interesting part is the company was owned by a larger real estate conglomerate called Trizec. And Trizec, who directed our operations out of Calgary, turned out also owned this little company called Central Park Lodges. And Central Park Lodges was at that time in the early 90s, the largest seniors housing owner and operator in Canada. They called it retirement homes back then. Though. Correct, correct. <laughs> and I had never even heard of them. 
but I had spent some And they time. were the largest in the country. Yeah, they were largest in the country, but I didn't really know anything about seniors housing. Well, you were a young man then, right? Oh, I was, so a, I was a young man. I was still, <laughs> still learning the business. So I, again, I was fortunate. I spoke to the Trizec people. I could see what was going on at Bramley. I asked them if there was possibly an opportunity somewhere else in the Trizec organization. And they were able to facilitate me moving over to Central Park Lodges. So this is... Uh, no, did you ask for Central Park Lodges? or that uh, well, was just- Once I found out about Central Park Lodges, I thought that was very fascinating. I said this would be a really fun industry to learn about, up and coming, still very young in its development in Canada. And so I went, I interviewed over there, and I think in 1991, I got hired as the treasurer of the company. They'd never had a treasurer. They didn't really do a lot of financing back in their early days. So how was your golf game at the time? <laughs> it was non-existent, okay. non-existent. So what are, you, are you implying that treasurers golf a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's where I started taking up golf was yeah. when, I, when I moved yeah. over there. And I uh, right. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I, I, I did start taking up golf there. Anyways, I had a mandate there to raise financing because ultimately the financing that we were going to raise within this company was going to be uh, sent up to the parent company, to Trizec. And Trizec realized that this is one of the few areas of the real estate market back in those days that was still healthy. Hmm. And, you and know, they needed help with all the other components or entities that they owned. Correct. So I had this great opportunity, this relatively really strong company in a young industry. I got to learn the business from some great management team over at Central Park Lodges. At the time, we owned or they owned both Canadian and U.S. operations. So I got to work in both Canada and the U.S. And it was a lot of fun. One of the first things I learned was how recession-proof that industry was. I mean, Mm -hmm. you were looking at the early 90s, and anybody who was around at that time knew that all of the major real estate companies across Canada were just being hammered. And here was this little real estate company, seniors housing company, that was doing just fine. The rest of the um, competitors doing as well? I would say yes. Again, at that time, there weren't a lot of significant competitors. Maybe the other name that I remember from those days is Extendicare, Diversicare. All those companies were doing quite fine to my, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. Anyways, so we raised some significant funds. And as part of my job in researching the best way to raise funds, I came across this company called First National Financial. And it turned out that First National had this unique expertise in CMHC financing which was applicable to the retirement home and the nursing home industry. So at the same time that I was learning about them, they actually called on me to tell me that they had done some significant financing from one of our competitors for Extendicare and asked if I'd be interested in talking to them. So that was a great opportunity. I got to meet uh, Stephen Smith and Maury Taz, the two principals. This is back, I think, in 1993, and we ended up doing one of the largest portfolio financings of retirement homes ever done in Canada at the time. Through CMHC. Through CMHC, and it was also a securitized deal. We securitized it through the mortgage-backed securities program, which was in its infancy mm-hmm. in Canada at the time. So so how big was big back then? Uh, that was something like an $80 million deal. Okay. And that was over uh, at least 20 properties. So it was a it was a big complicated deal. Uh, it was properties right across the country, and so it was really fun, exciting. Uh, it took us close to a year to put it together. There were there were some um, CMHC restrictions that we had to work around that don't exist anymore. Uh, and anyways, it was a really fun transaction. 
And that was over uh, at least 20 properties. It was a big, complicated deal. Uh, it was properties right across the country. And so it was really fun, exciting. Uh, it took us close to a year to put it together. There were, there were some um, CMHC restrictions that we had to work around that don't exist anymore. Uh, and anyways, it was a really fun transaction. Eventually, they sold the U.S. operation to a U.S. operator. You mean in, sold uh, Central Park Lodges? Correct. So, so Central Park Lodges uh, had two pieces. It was um, they had the Canadian company and the U.S. company. Uh, they sold the U.S. company, I think, late in um, 1993. And then in the middle of 1994, they sold the Canadian company to Paul Reichman and George Kuhl. So it was a really interesting purchaser. You, you have Reichmans, who are one of the biggest uh, real estate players in the world at this point in time. And you have George Kuhl, who is a very strong uh, operator of seniors housing, been in the business for many years. So it was a really, it was a really good combination. So in 1994, uh, that group took over in the fall. And at that time, um, the guys, Maury and Steven, approached me at, uh, from First National. They asked if uh, maybe it would be a good time for me to think about coming over and joining them and helping to run the seniors housing side of the business, which is they were trying to build up. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great opportunity. Uh, it was a good time for me to leave with the new management team coming in. And so I did that. I left in 1994. And, you know, one of the things I'm very proud about is that to this day, the uh, Central Park Lodges, which is now part of Rivera, is still one of my biggest clients. So I maintained that uh, relationship over almost 25 years. So and Rivera has similar ownership as they did when they bought Central Park Lodges. Uh, no, no, it's, it's totally uh, different. No, it's, now, it's, yeah. it's totally different now. So, um, but do, you, do they have those same assets? Do you come across uh, there, those there, assets? There, that there you are find? there are a few of the old assets that uh, I was involved with that are still owned by the group. So that that's also kind of cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So since 1994, I've been with First National, primarily focused on seniors' housing. I also do. Um, uh, apartments, mm -hmm. but really my, uh, my expertise is in seniors and, uh, we do seniors right across the country and it's been, um, uh, unbelievable changes to the industry between yeah, then and yeah, now. Yeah. So let's, so you had talked about at the time at Central Park Lodges, I think you kind of mentioned sort of just two, two components or two, um, di distinct asset classes, which would be retirement homes and nursing homes. And so I guess the difference just it simply is one's got more sort of palliative care and one does not. So, you know, what, what would be that's back then and then how has it evolved to, to where it is today? Right. So, so the key difference back then and really today is that um, the retirement home business in Canada is almost exclusively private pay. No government funded, no subsidies. Whereas the nursing home business, which is now called long-term care in Canada, is almost all government funded and subsidized. Hmm. So the long-term care part is part of the universal healthcare system of, uh, of the Canadian government. Actually, run it's run provincially. Retirement homes, uh, although they're regulated uh, provincially in the different provinces, uh, there's no funding by governments. And for the most part, uh, governments let them run their business uh, the way they want to. So they're very, very different businesses. They've evolved very differently. Um, the retirement home business has grown exponentially in this country. 
as we've got more and better capitalized operators uh, involved in the business. And the long-term care business has gone the other way. It's really, for the most part, retrenched in this country, mainly because governments are just not able to afford the funding to grow the long-term care business. Because, as I said before, pretty well all long-term care homes in Canada are funded by uh, governments. So what's happened is that's really been the uh, spark for the growth in the retirement home business. Um, We all know the demographics. We all know that people are getting older. There's more and more seniors every day. Uh, More and more seniors are needing care than we've, we've ever seen in the history of this country. And with the very limit, limited growth of the long-term care sector because of government funding, the retirement home sector has been able to pick up the slack. And so, therefore, uh, we've seen incredible growth in that area. And that area has been very exciting for me. Why did the government choose to, to basically create that one sector, the long-term care sector? And what, what does that mean? What are the distinctions between, you know, if I walked into a retirement home, and walked out and walked into a long-term care facility, what would be the differences that I would notice right off the bat? Maybe from the, maybe from the end user's perspective or you know, maybe from, from the ownership perspective. Right. Okay. So that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, for the most part, the long-term care homes tend to be um, older buildings. Again, because you can't build a new long-term care home building unless the government provides you financing. There are various programs across the country to do that, but they're very limited in scope. So what you're going to find is you're going to find old buildings, you're going to find small rooms, you're going to find oftentimes people in um, either two, three, or four bed situations in one room, sharing one bathroom, very limited uh, facilities, very limited amenities, and you're, ten- uh, you're tending to find people with um, what we call high acuity, meaning that they are, uh, have many more uh, illnesses than you would see in a retirement home. So. Because they're not being addressed properly. So that- no, no. Just because the uh, the that in the long term care environment has evolved into a place to care for people who have uh, severe illnesses. So, it- would you, in theory, go from a retirement home, and as your as you age? Uh, need more assistance, you would move from a retirement home to a long-term care facility? Is that sort yes, of the natural yes. progression? That, that, that historically has been the natural progression. So what would happen is if you just needed light care, you may not even qualify to be in a long-term care home because you have to have certain level of care needs before the government will allow you to go into a long-term care home. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is in the older older days, we would you'd see somebody going starting their um, time in a retirement home and as their acuity needs increased and they were more ill and maybe they were having some forms of dementia or other illnesses such that the retirement home just couldn't care for them anymore, they would move into the long-term care home. Oftentimes, there are waiting lists to get into long-term care homes. So uh, we would see people in retirement homes just waiting and possibly you know, up to two years before they could actually get into a long-term care home that was in their area. That was really the model for many, many years, but that's, but that's changing very rapidly because the, the uh, retirement home operators who are very savvy have, have figured out that the ability of the long-term care sector to care for uh, people who have high acuity needs is just not there. Yeah, and what I've got a terrible situation if you're the family, you're going from a, you know, probably a nicer facility with, you know, better 
better amenities, better better food, and all of a sudden they've got to go to a long term care facility, and they're, now they're with three other people in a room and sharing a bathroom, and it's almost a downgrade by necessity, which seems a bit peculiar to me. I, I, that's absolutely right. Now, now one thing we haven't talked about yet is affordability. The right. One, the one big attraction to long term care is because it's uh, heavily subsidized by governments. It tends to be uh, much more affordable than retirement care. So for some seniors, that's their only option. Although there are lots of different options in retirement housing, it's generally more expensive to be in a retirement home than long-term care home. So sometimes what we see is people who are in a retirement home and at a certain point in time, they just can't afford to be there anymore. And sometimes for that reason alone, they have to move over into long-term care. Is, are there, is there a component of the retirement home space that it has, has subsidies to it? You know, if I can't afford to go to a privately owned retirement home, but I don't qualify for long-term care facility, is there an option for me that, that has a, a retirement home facility, but it's subsidized and, and, and affordable? Um, as a rule, that's not an option. Okay. Um, there, there are some modifications to that. Like, for example, uh, as you need more care, it's possible to get government funded or assisted home care to come into your retirement home and to help care for your higher acuity needs. Mm -hmm. So there is some variations on that, but, but as a rule, um, there is no subsidies in retirement homes. So generally, uh, if people can no longer afford a retirement home, um, they generally will move into long-term Presuming care. they qualify for it. Presuming that they qualify for it. Yeah. Just for contrast sake, if you have you know significant resources, what does that look like for the average end user who's got the means to put money to this until the end of their days? So so that's a good question. So let's, let's talk about the evolution of the retirement <laughs> yeah. home because that's been really fascinating. You know, unfortunately, because of the government regulations and restrictions, the long-term care sector has not evolved significantly from the days that I was starting out in this business in the uh, mid-90s. But the retirement home business has evolved very dramatically. So, so when I started in the mid-90s, retirement homes tend to be um, really, there's really one main model. That model was uh, very much a care model. So you would only go in because you needed uh, some level of care, not necessarily the care you need in a long-term care home. Um, but you would be getting your three meals a day. You would be getting uh, housekeeping and laundry done for you for the most part. Um, there'd be some nursing staff to take care of your needs if you needed help with meds, et cetera, et cetera. Very unlikely that you would have a kitchen or any type of kitchenette because you weren't expected to make any food in your own in your own apartment. And when I say apartment, back in the, those days, the units were very small. Like we were talking anywhere from, you know, 250 square feet to 500 square feet, typically all studios. Like a modern condo. <laughs> in Toronto, yeah. that's correct. That's correct. And the acuity level was relatively light. And like I, we talked before, as people aged and need more and more care, they couldn't get it in retirement, in the retirement home and they'd have to move to a long-term care home. So that's all changed now. What retirement home operators determined was that they could keep people in their homes longer and people would prefer to stay in these retirement homes than go to long-term care if they could afford it by offering more advanced care services. So as we move through the 90s and into 2000s, what we're starting to see is the growth of the assisted living business. So what we're seeing is the retirement home operators are now creating assisted living units in their buildings. And what that means is 
They're creating maybe a, a floor where they could provide heavier care, have more resources, more nurses, and they could charge accordingly, right? That was a very, very successful model because what happened was we saw uh, people staying in uh, retirement homes much longer and sometimes right to the very end uh, if they could afford to stay there. That evolved later into um, another form of care, which we call memory care. So memory care is really caring for seniors who have some form of dementia. One of the things that the operators learned when they were uh, doing assisted living care was that uh, people with dementia had very significantly different needs and sometimes posed a danger to other residents. So they really couldn't care for these people and uh, they would have to move them to long-term care uh, once they got their dementia got more advanced. But over time, uh, operators starting developing expertise in the care of these dementia residents. And the retirement operators now were developing specialized units uh, called memory care units that would provide specialized care for dementia. In, in, a, in a separate section or a separate Correct. floor. Yeah, typically in a separate section. So think of, think of, think of this. So, so now the model has changed. To me, it's an amazing model. Uh, I would say what we see more often in the seniors housing business today is a model where you have three forms of care. The first form is basic retirement living. We call independent living. Mm -hmm. Independent living uh, would be potentially a senior's apartment, could be with a full kitchen or at the very least kitchenette. So these people will cook uh, maybe one or two meals a day. Typically, they'll get at least one meal at the home, but they'll not get all their meals at the home. Uh, these people uh, could still be driving a car, for example. So they're very mobile and they're, they're very active. And looking for more of a community than the, 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 the I, I, I'm just, maybe I'm jumping ship here, but that need, that, that type of person that is really independent living is benefiting from being in a retirement home, less for the, the, the assistance and more for just having a community around them? Uh, I think in part, yes. I think the other thing is the people who are independent living are in a transition phase. You know, they probably have some, some acuity issues and they can see themselves over time needing more assistance. And so getting into independent living is the first step to um, having, for example, having people cook for you, having people clean for you. Uh, do your laundry. Do your laundry. Um, the, you know, there's buses that are taking you to uh, a shopping mall or a show, etc. So, you know, they're not, when I say independent living, they're not as independent as you and I. Of course. Uh, they're independent. They're starting to lose some of that independence. But, but for the most part, they can function, you know, every day with a little bit of help. Mm -hmm. So that would be your kind of entry point into, into the... Uh, seniors housing. And then as your acuity needs grow and uh, maybe you've had some events, you uh, might have to move on to assisted living. And in assisted living, you're going to, uh, you're going to have more care. You're going to have three meals a day. You're going to have more nursing supervision. Um, you're going to have med supervision, et cetera, et cetera. And if you, if that evolves into some form of dementia, you can stay in the same home with the same team mm -hmm. and move over into a, uh, a memory care area and be cared for uh, with your unique needs for memory care. So from a family perspective, it's a great model because think of the family having to move mom or dad 
as their acuity needs change every two years. It's incredibly disruptive to all parts of the family mm-hmm. and the senior. The new model, in my mind, is amazing because it allows the senior just to transition within the same home, within the same group, within the same people who've been caring for them. So uh, it maintains the consistency uh, for, absolutely. Them, for them and the family. Absolutely. So it's a it, it, it's amazing model, and and there are there are other parts of that that have also grown, which are really cool. So, for example, on the independent side of the of the seniors' housing business. One of the big growth uh, parts of the business right now is fully independent apartments, standalone apartments. So we're seeing seniors housing developers now building uh, apartments that are would be no different for the most part than a, a new rental building for uh, for you and I. Although there will be some subtle differences for Walk-in seniors, right? Walk-in yeah, like Yeah, exactly. It'll be a little bit more handicap accessible. It, uh, it might have some amenities like a movie theater or uh, some, a dining area if they wanted to get, if they didn't want to cook their own meals. In the ideal world, it would be connected into more of a full-service retirement home so that you could actually buy services from the retirement home, the full-service retirement home, if you needed some services. Let's say you were ill and you, know, you couldn't cook for yourself, for example. For a, for a certain period of time and, Correct. Then, and then I don't need it anymore because I'm better Correct. again. Correct, but it doesn't have to be that. I mean, we've seen successfully developed, fully independent seniors' uh, apartments. So that's been, a, to me, a very exciting part of the growth of the sector. On the other side of the spectrum, the other thing that's really cool is we've seen people building standalone memory care buildings. So that is building a property that does nothing but care for seniors with dementia and other memory care issues. So if you think about that, I, th- I think that's amazing because memory care is very unique in terms of how uh, you care for people with dementia. Um, it's still very much in its infancy. There's a lot of programs that are out there that are trying to, they're testing how to um, keep people calm who get agitated, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Different, different stimulants to keep their exactly. their cognitive exactly. abilities and, fresh. And yeah. also different security issues. You know, you've got a lot of wandering issues in um, uh, people with dementia. So uh, these buildings tend to be more secure, but also you have to do it. You don't want to build it like a jail. Yeah, of course. Because this is this is Families their, this are still coming and visiting. Exactly, exactly. Nobody wants to be in a jail. Uh, nobody wants their mom and dad to be in a jail. So... These new uh, standalone memory care buildings, I think, is another really cool part of the business. We financed several of them. Uh, I'm really excited about those two new areas, the seniors' mm-hmm. apartments and the memory care. So what's happened is because long-term care has been unable to grow with the growing needs of seniors in this country, the retirement home side of the business has grown dramatically. And yeah. it's been really exciting to be part of that. That fall under the uh, the aging with care. You keep or age, aging with dignity. You keep hearing that phrase. Would this kind of new model fall under that uh, that concept? Oh, I, I, absolutely. I, you know, again, that's that's a good point. I mean, I I would argue that in in a lot of long term care homes, people are not allowed to age with dignity. Um, for example, there's a limit on how many baths that they could get in a month because the government can't afford to fund the long term care home for baths, right? Um, there's a limit to what food can be provided because the government just determines how much is uh, funded 
to each each long-term care home for food. You don't have these limits in retirement homes. Now, you know, retirement homes- Because uh, it's private entities. It's so private entities. So pay, so, pay so, for it and you get it. Exactly. So so in most retirement homes, there's a, there's a base fee where you're getting a base level of services. And if you want any additional services, let's say you need, uh, you want two or three baths, assisted baths a week, you can get that service. So is it almost a la carte? Like here's a menu, here's the base cost to have the space. And then if you want to add on, you just, you know, check a box and that's what you end up paying for. Yeah. Maybe I simplify it too much. Yeah. But I would say the, there's always the ability to buy additional services in the retirement home sector. So you're never going to be limited by uh, the services that are there. A la carte is an interesting issue because uh, some operators uh, run their businesses based on a, on a a la carte service. So basically you get a very basic level of service. And if you want anything more, you pay on an a la carte basis. A lot of seniors don't like that, right? A lot of seniors and families don't want to be nickeled and dimed for Mm -hmm. a la carte services. So other operators try and give a more comprehensive package so that they don't have to charge for every level of service. So so different operators have different philosophies on that, but suffice to say that um, there's very few limits of services that you can get in most retirements today. Is there an evolution of the amenities being provided? You mentioned movie. You mentioned sort of movie theaters, and you know, I, my brain goes to you know a whole bunch of you know aged people sitting in wheelchairs and nothing happening, and with a fan moving slowly in some big room. But clearly, there if these new operators are identifying that they need to have more stimulants, more things for their residents to do. Yeah. So what are you seeing? What's the what's kind of the new trends, or what have the trends been sort of in the last ten years? Yeah, great question. That has actually been another major development in the uh, retirement home side of the business. Incredible amenities that we're seeing in buildings. So let me, let me just think about, you know, I think standard today is a full service movie theater where people can go and watch uh, movies every night, uh, possibly a hockey game or a football game or uh, a big show that they want to see. Another really cool development is uh, what's really popular amongst some seniors is playing Wii games. Hmm. So Wii video games. So some of the operators have um, tournaments where they you could play Wii bowling or Wii other things. And you can do that in these big screens and movie theaters. So, so that's really cool. Um, that's Again, that's almost standard. Uh, a lot of homes we're seeing now, swimming pools. Right. That was unheard of uh, in my day uh, when we I first started in the early 90s. So, um, you know, people can go and do uh, some therapy in the pool. Aqu- Aquafit, Or that kind of Aquafit thing. classes or, you know, just, it's just, you know, good. It's so easy to stretch your bones in, in mm. swimming pools. So swimming pools uh, and full-service spas are becoming very popular in retirement homes. Um, I'm seeing things like Bowling alleys, sure. which uh, we've seen in a few homes. It's just really cool. We've seen art rooms where people uh, who are creative can do art. We've seen gardening rooms where people who love to garden can do the both, greenhouses. both yeah. indoor and outdoor gardening. Uh, we've seen woodworking rooms where people can do woodworking. Um, I've seen a full 18-hole putting greens. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen golf simulators. Sure. 
So um, basically anything and everything that you right. can help to and, and, and just anything to that you can promote ab- the, 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 the community right. and right. the experience right. you're going to have right. living there. And anything that you can imagine. And, and, and here's the other thing that I think is fascinating. Uh, pool is a good example. Um, if you were to put in a look at a, a home with a pool, I would say that probably a small percentage of the actual residents at that home are using the pool. But guess what? Their grandchildren are coming and using that mm. pool. So from a marketing perspective, the residents and the families saying, oh, this is great. You know, here's an opportunity for- Keep the kid busy. For, we can catch up. But also, you know, for, the, for their parents who are aged and have certain acuities, can do some, have some quality time with their grandchildren. So they're leaving the premises. Exactly, so. exactly. So, uh, you know, that's just, a, to me, uh, a really cool evolution of the business. And uh, again, things like that can't happen in long-term care because it's limited by mm-hmm. the government funding. Now, and you had mentioned earlier, let's maybe dig into that a little bit, that that long-term care, that's a federal, that's a federal re- regulatory body. No, it's, or that's a, no, it's actually level. done provincially. Remember, remember, healthcare in this country is done provincially. provincially. So every province has its own uh, reg- regime for funding long-term care. Every province has to provide funding to long-term care homes. So maybe that's a good segue into different amenities or the differentiations between different jurisdictions and how different provinces approach both the retirement home, uh, you know, assets, but, and the long-term care. And if there are certain provinces that potentially do it better than others. Right. Right. Okay. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about long-term care. As I said, every, every province has a different funding regime to fund long-term care. Um, some provinces provide more funding. Some provinces provide a little less funding for, but, for, for the most part, across the country, there's not uh, uh, significant differences. I would say the primary difference is for uh, provinces that are trying to build new long-term care homes mm-hmm. uh, or redevelop existing homes. Um, BC has done a relatively decent job of... Um, do they do that in partnership with private entities or do they do that on their own? Uh, well, it's a good, good question. It's definitely in partnership with okay. private. It could be not-for-profits as well. Right. But definitely, but, but the way it tends to work is the, the provincial government will say, I want to create 100 new beds in this community, and they'll put out an RFP. Mm-hmm. And whoever wins that RFP will be, uh, typically it's a private developer or a private operator, although it could be a not-for-profit. Uh, and it even could be a municipality. But mm-hmm. their participation is much more limited in the sector. And uh, if they win the RFP, they would build the home and they would operate the home uh, under the guise of the, of the provincial government and the funding that they're provided for by the, okay. by the so, so So the major retirement home operators in the country also typically participate in the long-term care uh, assets as well, or that, that industry as well. Well, that's, that, that's a good question. Historically, absolutely, that's been the case, but that's changing now. I would say that because the private operators have dis, you know, discovered over the years that their uh, return on their investment in the retirement sector is, is significantly better than the long-term care sector. Um, and they seem they're creating, they're creating sort of quasi-long-term care components correct. in their retirement homes. So it's almost cannibalizing correct. the long-term care facilities that they may have owned correct. historically. So, so what we've been seeing is some of the major operators uh, either exit the long-term care business or uh, limit their involvement in the um, long-term care business uh, to focus exclusively on the 
retirement business. So I would say right now, if I look at some of the, the biggest players in the business, several of them have no long-term care assets whatsoever. Um, but in every case, their uh, portfolio of uh, retirement housing is significantly higher than in long-term care. And I think that's a problem for the long-term care sector in this country. I think there's less players who want to invest into the long-term care sector. One of the interesting things we've seen in the sector is uh, the entrance recently by a major infrastructure fund. And I see there's potential to grow that business with infrastructure investment because the uh, steady government funding works very well for, for in- infrastructure funds. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work very well for real estate development companies. And remember that uh, our, our largest seniors uh, housing operators in this country are at, at heart real estate development companies as well who require a return on their investment. So I see the ownership changing. It's been changing and it's going to continue to change. I think we're going to see less ownership from the what I call the major seniors housing operators and maybe more ownership from these infrastructure funds or funds like that who will accept lower return on their investment for the steady government returns. Mm-hmm. So let me go back to the provincial differences we were just sure, talking yeah, about. Please. I want to talk a little bit more on the retirement home side of the business, because I would say the biggest difference across the country is what I call the Quebec model versus the rest of the country model. The rest of the country model, and we're based in Ontario, so let me use Ontario as an example, is what I was describing before. It was more of a, a, a full service model where you're going into a retirement home and you're, you're not going in unless you need some level of services and um, you're going to purchase at least a, a minimum level of services. And that's going to cost you significantly more than if you moved into just an apartment unit. Can you throw a number out as an example? Kind yeah, of yeah. So, so let's say if you're a senior and you've owned a home and you, you really can't manage in your home anymore. And so what's, you know, your option is, okay, well, I can move into an apartment unit in the city of Toronto, and maybe that's going to cost me $2,000 a month. Uh, Or I could go into a retirement home where I'm going to get some level of services, and that's going to cost me $4,000 a month. So it's it's significantly higher. Yeah, that's that's $50,000 a year, right? Correct. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay, so contrast that, and, and, and I would say that's that model, you know, I'm being very generalized, but that model is fairly consistent across the country except for Quebec. Okay. In Quebec, the seniors model is very much an apartment model. So in Quebec, um, what, what we're seeing is seniors, first of all, they're going into retirement homes even before they have any care needs. They're going there for because there are other seniors in the building. And so in Quebec, if they're moving out of their home, first of all, they could have been lifelong renters. In Quebec, we see a, a much more proportion of lifetime renters, much more comfortable into going into seniors' housing than you will see in the rest of the country. So one of the really cool stats uh, we use in, in our industry is a stat that talks about how many seniors at a certain age are in a uh, some sort of seniors housing. The average across across the country of seniors, I think it's seniors seventy five and older, 
the average across the country is somewhere between five and six percent of seniors 75 or older are in some sort of retirement home or care setting. In Quebec, it's almost 20 percent, hmm. right? And so a lot of our a lot of players in the industry have been trying to study the Quebec model to figure out how we move that Quebec model to to the rest of the country. Right? <laughs> how do we and get it, more people exactly. in at seventy five? But it's so. not so easy because again, in Quebec, what we're seeing is we uh, we have younger seniors going in without any care needs. Um, typically in Quebec, they're going into almost completely independent seniors' apartments buildings, very limited services. So. Uh, they may be paying twelve hundred and fifty a month, uh, whereas if they w- moved into a standard apartment unit, they might pay nine hundred a month. And so it's strictly just communities where they're getting there. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Else. That's yeah. community is a big, big part of that model, and um, and so when so contrast that with the rest of the country where it may cost four thousand to go into a, mm. a retirement home, and you're coming and, from a single family home into that is a right. bigger leap in terms of your adjustment. To right, life. Yeah. right, exactly. So, um, consequently, one of the really fascinating things that's been going out on out, out in this industry over the past five years is we've had uh, our sophisticated seniors housing operators across the country trying to figure out how you move the Quebec model over to the rest of the country, right? One of the things you have to do when you're doing that Quebec model is you have to build very large buildings with a lot of units. You know, if you're Why only well, if you're only charging twelve fifty a month, your margins are low are much lower than you would in a in a, a home where you would get four thousand dollars a month, right? So what we tend to see in Quebec, for example, is buildings that are three hundred units, whereas the average outside of Quebec might be one hundred twenty units. Can you do a per square foot comparison just to help compare apples to apples from the four thousand to the twelve fifty using those numbers? Like, is it it may be twelve fifty, but they're getting half the space, so so it may go from uh, yeah, no, it's a dollar seventy five yeah. a foot versus three bucks a foot, which is not quite yeah you know, the same I, well, comparison. You know what? That's 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 a point, but I think it's not enough to explain the difference, okay. right? Yeah, you're 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 probably you're getting more, obviously you're getting more for thousand for four thousand a month than twelve fifty sure. a month. But that doesn't explain the the, the willingness the, to move into exactly, it. Yeah. Exactly. So a lot of it, in my opinion, is uh, cultural, social. The Quebecers tend to be more social, uh, want to be around other seniors of their own age. Again, they might have been uh, apartment dwellers their entire lives, very comfortable in apartment setting, whereas uh, seniors here in Ontario and BC and Alberta who have lived in single-family homes their entire lives it's a major move to move into a small apartment setting in a retirement home. So I think the impetus for what we've already talked about, which is the, um, the growth of the standalone seniors apartment side of the business, a lot of that impetus is seniors operators trying to recreate the Quebec model because that is the Quebec model mm-hmm. and bring it into other other jurisdictions yeah and therefore allowing those units to be priced at a much more moderate cost so consequently you have to build a bigger building that you otherwise would uh and you can charge instead of charging four thousand dollars a month maybe you're charging you know 25 or 2600 dollars a month big difference no more less efficiency right more more less amenities too at that point yeah, then, yeah. Right? you need to, Abs- you need to abs- maximize your floor plate absolutely much much less amenities because uh, you need to maximize your floor plate you know much uh, very limited in the way of services 
Ideally, though, if you can somehow attach that to a full-service home next door in a campus setting, that to me is the best model because that way, you know, you can keep this completely, you can keep this completely independent and separate, but uh, the care is, is, is nearby. I, I, I would say the one um, thing about the Quebec model that I think is a weakness is as people age in place and need more and more care, very limited options for them, as opposed in other provinces where we just talked about you have a full service model. You can age in place in your building and literally you can go in from the time you're independent until, you know, yeah. you know it's the end. It's my understanding that uh, straight across the country, if you look at the demographics and the supply coming uh, on stream, um, all the markets are pretty tight. Is there any provinces in particular that have you know looming issues with not enough supply coming up? Yeah, it's another it's another good question. Um, you know, one of the things as a, as a lender and anybody you know who's uh, intricately involved in this industry has to look at what is the um, vacancy rates across the country, and also you know what what kind of new supply is coming on. Trying to figure out you know our markets in balance, our markets not in balance. Obviously, that's a crucial part of the real estate development process. Here's something that I think a lot of people who read about the industry without knowledge don't really know. But there is a fair bit of vacancy in retirement home industry in this country. There is virtually no vacancy in long-term care. Remember, long-term care is heavily subsidized by the government. Mm -hmm. Um, There's very limited amount of new uh, beds being built across the country. So uh, those beds are are occupied as soon as they come available. Oftentimes, there's long waiting lists. But for other reasons, we've just talked about a lot of people don't want to go into long-term care. In the retirement home industry, uh, very typical to the development cycle. If there's a long development cycle, um, by the time you plan your development, get your permits and build, oftentimes it's a five-year process. And here's the other thing. You build a retirement home and it takes a long time to lease up. Seniors, they don't just come because you build a home. You have to do an incredible amount of marketing to convince seniors to move out of their comfortable homes into a care-type setting. So typically what we see, if somebody builds a, uh, let's say, 120, 150-unit retirement home with care services, which is probably a standard-type size. In a strong location, right? Yeah, in, yeah. in, in, in in a good market could easily take three years to fill. This is what people don't understand. So there's a very significant cost to filling these buildings. And of course, if you happen to develop during a recession or during a time when two other operators have opened up in your markets, you know, that could take even longer. So it is a difficult, you know, despite the fact that the demographics are great, they continue to grow. There is a lot of retirement product that has been developed across the country, particularly in the last 10 years. There's been a lot of new capital come into this industry over the last 10 years. And I would tell you that that there are not very many markets in this country where you can develop, easily develop retirement housing and the models show very significant profitability. Because the other problem that we're having, which is a, just a general development issue across this country, 
is the cost of development have risen very dramatically. Mm -hmm. If you want to be in a major market like Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, even Montreal now, uh, Edmonton, the cost of land has skyrocketed. The cost of construction has skyrocketed. Development charges are going up. Development charges are going up. Um, And so what's happening is your cost per suite has gone up dramatically. We, we, you know, I, I look back to my early days in the nineties where, you know, if we had a cost per suite of 200,000, that would be somewhat outrageous. And if we had to pay more than about $20,000 per suite for land, that would be about full cost. Now, uh, if you're trying to develop in the, in the major cities and let's use Toronto, Vancouver, an example, the cost to develop is completely outrageous. I mean, you're looking at costs anywhere from, you know, 500000 a unit to a million dollars a unit. And in order to justify those costs, you have to charge rents that are, you know, in the, let's say, six, $7,000 a month to start and maybe as much as $15,000 a month to justify uh, your cost of development. So it's become more and more difficult to develop new product to make the economics and work. to make the economics work. So again, the operators are, tr- are struggling trying to figure out how to tweak the model to make it work better. Is there not another problem here? I mean, talk about demographics. Like there isn't a giant cohort right behind the baby boomers that are going to keep filling these units in the, I don't know what the horizon is, 25, 30 years from today. I got average baby boomer, correct me if I'm wrong, it's about 55 right now. So maybe it's 40 years from now, they're going to be 95 to 100. And all of a sudden, you're going to have this drop off. I mean, are, are any of your clients thinking that way? Or does it really matter? 45 years down the road, who cares? I'll be out of it. So build it today. It'll be full for a long period of time. And who cares what it looks like once that cohort, you know, kind of moves on? Right. I, you know what? I think what most of the seniors housing developers talk about is the baby boomers. And let's, let's talk about the baby boomers for a second, because I'm one. The baby boomers, I think the, the lead of the baby boomers are just turning 75 right now. The average age in a retirement home in this country is approximately 85. That means that the baby boomers, for the most part, are not going to start to even enter retirement homes for another 10 years. And then you've got 20 years of baby boomers coming through after that. So I'm going to say to you that I don't think anybody's looking beyond that period when you've got 20 years of seniors, baby boomers, who are going to enter into the market and be residents of seniors housing. And and when that happens, there will be a tsunami. Well, sure. And I keep going. Sorry, Brian. Didn't yeah, mean to cut you I, off. there will be a tsunami. And a lot of the big developers are building buildings knowing that that tsunami is coming because when it does come, there won't be enough time to, to, you know, because of the development cycle, it takes such a long time. There will be not enough time to build enough homes for all the needs. So people are doing that now in anticipation of that future. But remember that future is still 10 years away. The other thing that might impact that is that baby boomers and people in general are taking better care of themselves. They're living longer and what I think is going to happen is the average age of retirements is go- uh, going into a retirement home in this country is going to increase possibly significantly. 
maybe today it's 85. Maybe by the time in 10 years, by the time the baby boomers are going in, they're not going in until they're 90. Because guess what? There's a lot more healthy 85-year-olds in 10 years than there are today. Mm. So really, really interesting dynamics. But what, you know, the problem is, is if you build all these buildings today in anticipation of, of this coming tsunami, well, guess what? You still got to make money today. You still got to pay your mortgage today. Right. So consequently, you know, we've seen a lot of development over the past 10 years. And uh, we see not insignificant amount of vacancies right across the country, as I said before. And can you throw a number out there just to kind of give the listener a context? Talking 8%, 10%. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it varies across yeah, the country. Yeah, but. absolutely. I, I would say, okay, so you, ha- you have to differentiate between the newer product and the older product. One of the things that happened is, you know, you, you look at older product. In the apartment business, if you've got a 50-year-old apartment building in the city of Toronto, it doesn't really matter. You're going to be full. But guess what? If you have a 50-year-old apartment, uh, retirement home in the city of Toronto, you are going to struggle. And the reason being is because those 50-year-old buildings have, don't look anything like the new buildings. The new buildings have all sorts of amenities that the old buildings don't have. They have big rooms. The old buildings are very small rooms. Um, the older buildings are just not very economically feasible anymore. So what we're seeing is we're seeing significant vacancies in the older buildings. So if I look at the older buildings, you know, it doesn't surprise me to see vacancies of 15 to 20%. Mm. In newer buildings, uh, we would ex- hope to see vacancies of somewhere between 5 and 10%. So I, I would say that is a, a good be- benchmark for, for across the country. And right? it would mirror other asset classes, too, that are experiencing a lot of new build. Um, where you see the vacancy pushed down to all the B-class assets. Yeah, absolutely. Using office as a simple example, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, one of the interesting uh, parts of this business is for those owners who own the older B-class assets is what do you do with that, right? Do you sell it? Do you just close it? You know, create a different use? Tear it down, build a new one. Right, right. Maybe tear it down and build a new one if it's in a good location. Some of the more creative operators what uh, have done successfully is converted those old buildings with very small units into heavy care, standalone heavy care units, mm. uh, which I think is a good model. Um, because uh, if you need heavier care, kind of similar to a long-term care care, maybe it's dementia, memory care, maybe it's just, maybe it's not, um, the size of the units and the amenities don't really matter. What matters is the kind of care that you're getting in these homes. So you can still provide terrific care in a building that is not very desirable anymore. Because it's a staffing upgrade, essentially. Correct. Right? Yeah. Correct. So where where I've seen success in, in turning that vacancy around is where people, operators, are taking those units that were uh, tr- they were trying to sell to residents who had limited care needs because those people have lots of options to people who have heavier care needs, um, who do have less options. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, finance for a second. We've kind of touched on it here and there. You mentioned the fact these operators have to you know, pay their mortgages. Uh, so what is the landscape of you know, finance for seniors housing? And presumably it's predominantly CMHC, but what does the conventional world look like in comparison to the CMHC world? I've been waiting for you to answer, ask that question. <laughs> for, you question. know, uh, yeah. So this is what I do for a living. So it is uh, it is one of my favorite topics. So uh, l- let me give you a little bit of history. 
So back when I first started out in this business, uh, let's say when I started out with First National in 1994, the vast majority of financing for seniors housing in Canada was done through CMHC. There was very limited conventional funds available, um, but almost all of it was done through CMHC. CMHC had some expertise in this area. No conventional lenders had any expertise in this area. They were all were really afraid of it. And it made sense for CMHC to be involved simply because, I mean, their, their mandate is provide housing, cheap housing for, for Canadians. And Absolutely. so this was, this was just a cohort of, you know, Canadians, right? Absolutely. Helping, helping older people find a place to live. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we go through the 90s and we, you know, the industry is starting to grow, what happened was CMHC uh, had a couple of very significant defaults in the sector. And I would say those defaults were not because of the sector itself, not because the uh, seniors housing business was becoming poor, uh, the economy wasn't poor. It was because they were financing some bad operators. There was a couple of bad operators, uh, one particularly in Ontario, one in Quebec, that probably were not totally above board. And CMHC ended up suffering significant losses. Mm. This kind of mid to late 90s. And after that happened, they started to back away from the industry because they said, well, hold on a second here. Maybe we thought we knew what we were doing, but maybe we don't know what we're doing. And maybe we need to stop being the really main financier to this industry. And when that happened, of course, those of us in the financing side, we really had to work on developing, you know, we were somewhat reliant on CMA. So we had to start developing a um, con- more conventional options. And we were able to do that. We were starting to provide more conventional options for our clients. But was CMHC still an option at the time, just not as viable? Exactly, okay. exactly. They were an option, but they were um, being very, very conservative in their underwriting. What happened was they, they changed their underwriting to be much more conservative. So even though they would do deals, the deals that we, they were doing were not as um, attractive to borrowers. So borrowers started to looking to us to provide them with different options. And we started to provide conventional options where they got better financing. When I say better financing, uh, that means a higher loan to values. CMHC was always the best game in town for interest rates. But for a lot of clients, especially the smaller clients, um, leverage, was needed. La- leverage was needed because of lack of equity. Okay, So as we go through the 2000s, we start seeing bigger and more well-capitalized operators And that does two things. That starts to attract more and more debt capital into the business. And when I say debt capital, all of that being conventional. So we start to see the conventional business really grow. And also CMHC starts to renew their interest in the business because now they see, well, hold on a second. We can actually get much better covenants than we used to get in the old days where the operators were small and uh, they only own maybe one or two homes, and, and we relied on somebody's personal guarantee. And now we're starting to see some, some big companies. Like, for example, um, we see Chartwell REIT um, come to fruition. We see CPL creating two REITs, retirement REIT and long-term care REIT. And all of a sudden, these are uh, bigger public companies. And CMHC is taking much more of an interest. So all of a sudden, we start to get into a point where we um, – operators have more options. And that's, that's, that was great for all of us that, you know, because we're, there's just more deals being done and uh, the operators who really wanted to focus on reducing their interest costs tend to work with CMHC 
the operators who were looking for maximum leverage tend to go to uh, conventional. And that has just grown. So, uh, you know, what's happened, you know, let's call it in the past five years is the, uh, we see more bigger and well-capitalized operators. Again, we have very large companies, either public or uh, often owned by pension funds, or uh, sometimes private families, but with very significant assets. So they're all great covenants and they have a multitude of choices. You know, there's a big conventional market. There is also uh, a great CMHC market for their assets. So uh, today, there's never been more choices for uh, seniors housing operators. But as lenders, you know, one of the things we always talk about is we want to work with the great operators, right? At the end of the day, the management experience, there's nothing that you can substitute for great management in this business. The only time we've ever gotten into trouble in this business is not because of the economics of the business. It's because that the operators were poor. Uh, they took their eye off the ball. This is a very competitive business and you're looking to fill your homes. Remember, here's another thing. You're always having to fill your homes because um, let's say it takes you build a new retirement home. It takes you three years to fill to get you up to 95%. Every year you're losing 10, 20, 30% of your residents for various reasons, right? They pass away. They, 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 they move to, to move long-term, long-term care. care. Yeah. Uh, their families move away. They want to move to closer to be their families. So you're continually having to refill your homes every year. And market your property. And market your property. So it is a, it is a very marketing intensive business. And I so, imagine the, the expense side of the ledger must be enormous as compared to a uh, standard built department. Uh, uh, absolutely. Your, your, um, your wages costs, very significant. Your marketing costs are significant. Um, so you cannot take your eye off the ball. There is no, uh, the most important thing as a lender we look at is quality of management. And so, therefore, to me, that's a real barrier to entry. It is hard for a new player to get into this business and try and compete against the established players who have incredible marketing systems and understand the complexities of the business. First of all, it's very capital intensive to get in. You need significant equity. And once you're in, you have to have all the systems in place. Also, remember, you're caring for some potential, some of them very sick elderly people. A lot of liability involved in doing that. Mm. You know, people, uh, developers don't always understand that, you know, this is more of a business than a real estate play. And so if you don't understand the business side of this, it's uh, very hard to be successful. And and the other thing I have to say is um, a lot of developers we talk to think that, you know, they can just hire a third-party manager and that makes, you know, all their problems go away. And I would disagree with that. I mean, the third-party manager, first of all, most of the big operators don't provide third-party management. They do it themselves. They do it themselves, right? Uh, They want to do it for themselves. They don't want to do it for others. So I would say most of the great operators are not providing that. But but, but you can can find pretty good third-party management. But I would argue that without that third-party management having some skin in the game, just being a third-party manager... Uh, my experience has been is those properties tend not to succeed nearly as much as the owner-operated properties. So to me, that's a big barrier of entry to this business. Branding has got to be a big component of it too, right? If I 
if I've got a, a mother or father that I'm looking to put into a home, I know the Chartwell, I know the Rivera, and then if there's this brand new, you know, no name operator, that's going to be I cause me pause. I'd rather go to the Chartwell, the Rivera, you know, the other, you know, the strong strong operators that I know have a history that have thousands and thousands of units across the country rather than the the, the one-off guy that just started his first his first retirement home. So that's a, that's a very interesting point. So let's talk about branding. Again, when I first started, there were, I, wor- I, I worked at Central Park Lodges. We we're the biggest player in Canada. And no one ever heard no of No one ever heard of us. <laughs> no one ever, I mean, there was no such thing as a website back in those days. No one ever heard of us. Um, you know, and, and let's look at this 25 years later. 25 years later, you're seeing commercials on TV for retirement homes. You're seeing uh, the internet and newspapers inundated with ads for retirement homes right across the country. And so branding is a thing. It never was a thing. Sorry to cut you off, Brian, but it's really interesting because it's branding because they're they are looking at that cohort again, saying, okay, in 10, 15 years, everybody that's reading those newspapers and watching those 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 commercials will eventually be my tenants. And I want to make sure that they know that I'm I'm trustworthy and I'm competent and I can provide the best service. And that way the decision is easier or they're more more inclined to go to that that operator once they need to enter a retirement home. Yeah, a hundred percent, Aaron. I would say um, that has become a very big deal. Again, that's all about the marketing side of the business, which is huge. So um, companies are investing very significant dollars in their branding. They're creating all sorts of very unique marketing. I saw something really cool recently. I was uh, in Ottawa, uh, where my I'm from, and my uh, my dad had an operation at one of the hospitals in Ottawa. So I was there um, visiting him, and I went to the hospital. And in the lobby, one of the big retirement home operators had leased uh, a space next to Second Cup. And I thought, wow, this is, I've never seen that before. Here's a retirement home operator with a retail space. Like with it, staff present. And, and, and basically yeah. with a marketing person present to say, okay, you know what? You were in the hospital. Maybe you were a senior. And guess what? you really can't go home because you've had an event such that you can't manage at home anymore. So now what do I do? Well, guess what? Right in the lobby is a marketing person for this major retirement home operator. Wow, that's amazing. I'm going to go talk to this person. And I thought, how brilliant is that? And so so I am constantly amazed by the uh, variety and ingenuity of the operators out there with marketing their services, because one of the things that that has been an issue over the years in, in the industry is overcoming the uh, people's thoughts that when you go into retirement home, you go there to die. Mm. And I'm going to tell you that being in hundreds and hundreds of these homes over the years, I have a totally different view. My view is the lucky people are going into these retirement homes because most of them are lovely. Most of them have lovely staff getting great care. And um, they're, those seniors are much better off than being in their own homes where they can be very lonely. Um, there's a lot of stress to the family to try and care for them. Um, it's just a better environment for families and the residents. So I know you're decades off, but are you looking forward to your twilight years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And can I ask which operator you're going to be staying well, in? No, but, I'll, but I'll, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you one story, though. Last year... I was at a first national conference in Banff. And um, whenever I go to places like Banff, I try and stop into a uh, 
local retirement home that I haven't seen before. So uh, there was a newly developed home in Canmore uh, that I knew about. And I called up the operator and I said, you know, can I go and do a tour? Because I'm going to be nearby. And he said, oh, yeah, that's great. That's one thing about operators. They love showing off their homes. So I can call up just about any operator at any time and say, can I get a tour? And I'm never refused. So while I was in Banff, my wife and I took a a day trip to Canmore and we went to see this uh, retirement home. And, you know, from the from the second floor, you had these unbelievable views of the mountains. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, this might be the place that we got to retire, (laughs) you know. So so who knows? But, but you know, it is in the back of my mind one day. (laughs) That's funny. Well, and for those that don't know Canmore, it's right in the heart of, uh, it's in Alberta, right? Yeah, it's right. It's right, it's in, the between, heart of, right in the heart of uh, Yeah, it's between the, Calgary the and Banff. It's yeah. an unbelievably beautiful town. The Rockies, you know, hitting the, right hitting in the, the, Rockies, the skies all yeah, over you. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a pretty cool place. That was my first time in Canmore. So you've kind of, you've kind of been hitting around it, Brian, but it, it sounds like, um, I think I know the answer to this question, but, you know, if, if I was an apartment owner, apartment developer, and I was thinking about getting into retirement homes, again, looking at the demographics and, you know, that you, as you, as you called it, a tsunami of, of baby boomers that are entering the need for this care, um, what would you say to me if I was asking about, you know, entering that marketplace? So, Aaron, I've been getting that question for probably 20 years uh, from all sorts of different developers in all sorts of different industries who uh, have been reading about the demographics, been reading about developments in the seniors housing business. What a great opportunity. What a great right, business opportunity. Right. It's, a, it's like a no-brainer opportunity. You know, you build it and they will come. And Double easy, your rents. Easy way to make money. You oh, get, yeah. It's you, rather you, than 2000 right, or 4000 Right. You get, Brilliant. You get, exactly. So I, um, I sit these people down and have a very serious conversation with them. And uh, I'm going to say that uh, about 95% of them, I say the best thing you can ever do is avoid this business because it's a very, it's a great business, but it's a very difficult business. Again, some of the things we touched on, very capital intensive, costs a lot of money to develop these things. Very management intensive. You really need to know what you're doing. You have to have incredibly strong marketing systems. You're caring for a lot of sick elderly people. Um, if you do not provide a good level of care, number one, you're not going to be in the business very long. Number two, you have incredible liability. Number, number three, you'll end up in the newspaper more often than not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it is hard to be successful in this business. But if you really want to be in the business and you're a developer, my suggestion is you almost have to partner with an operator. You've got to find an operator, uh, and uh, preferably that operator has an equity interest in the business, so they have skin in the game. And together uh, with, let's say, the developer's development expertise and the operator's operating expertise, you can design a building that the seniors are looking for. That's that's a big deal. Building design is huge now. Um, uh, you find sites where there is demand because, again, if you look across the country, there is no gaping holes in uh, larger communities for retirement product right now. And you have to develop systems where you can uh, make sure that your seniors are cared for in a safe environment, an environment they want to be in, and you have to have continuous marketing. We haven't seen in all the years that I've been doing this too many examples 
of developers who came into this industry and were successful without partnering up with a great manager. And, and one of the problems is there are not many great managers left out there to partner up with because a lot of them have grown to the size where they have their own resources. So it can be done. It's difficult. Uh, you need to have some great consultants with you to give you some advice. Um, uh, one of the things that I love to do in my business is consult to various players about things like this. And um, if, you know, if you're determined enough, you can do it. But I would say for most people who think that they can make a relatively easy buck, the best advice I give them is stay away from this business. We should have uh, opened up that question to save people an hour of listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they no, wouldn't no, have no, listened, yeah. right? So, <laughs> you know, it's a good, good way to end it. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Uh, our, our question for 2018 uh, is, if you're investing in one asset class in what city, what would it be? Of course, you can be any asset class. We're opening this up to Brian. I almost want to say you cannot say retirement homes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, okay. So I was going to say uh, retirement, retirement home, and home and Cam more. <laughs> that was the easy answer. But, but I'll, give you, I'll give you a different one because my wife, uh, who's a lawyer, has this dream of one day owning uh, her own coffee shop. She loves coffee. So I'm going to say we're going to uh, one day own a coffee shop Maybe in Canmore, <laughs> where she can serve great coffee to great friends. <laughs> That's so retail great. in Canmore is the yeah. answer. Storefront retail. We get that answer a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, thanks, Brian. That's uh, it's incredibly informative. Um, you know, Brian's you know, well known in the industry to be an expert. I think we you know definitely saw that today. So we thank him for for coming on. Uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. And we want to thank our sponsor, First National, of course. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend uh, who might be thinking about getting into seniors housing or just might be interested in the topic. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.